Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 161. It's titled, What You Need to Know About Retirement Calculators. I've always been fascinated by oases, these isolated pockets of vegetation found in the desert. I remember driving, I think it was last year, LaPrille and I, one of our kids with us, we were driving through Idaho. We were just, I believe, just south of May, Idaho. We rounded the bend, and there was just this bright pocket of green where there was an area of vegetation fed by a spring whose water source was an underground aquifer. Now, typically when we think of oases, we, oases, we think of these pockets of green and vegetation in the, in the Sahara Desert where you have sand everywhere, and then you have the, these trees and this greenery that's fed by a spring. And oftentimes in these extremely arid climates, the prehistoric water stored in the aquifers that feeds the spring and sustains the oases, it's known as fossil water because it's an inheritance from millennia past where there was much higher annual rainfall amounts. It could have been a, just a period of, of thousands and thousands of years where it was just much, much wetter. And so you had more rain and it would percolate through the, the sand and the rock and it would sink deep into the earth and stored as groundwater. And an example of a, an oasis in northwestern Saudi Arabia is Tayma, T-A-Y-M-A, it's a city that's been inhabited for thousands of years. It was first mentioned in Assyrian inscriptions in 800 BC. It's also mentioned in the Old Testament. It was for a period a Jewish settlement. Now, in that area, in Saudi Arabia, in the early 1980s, the Saudi government began encouraging the production of wheat and barley through subsidies and other means. And farmers in the Tabuk province where Tema is located took advantage of these subsidies to significantly increase their crop production. Satellite photos in 1986, and I'll link to this in the show notes. You can see the landscape around the Tabuk province. It's just desert brown, as you would expect. It's the Sahara, Sahara Desert. But photos today show areas with large patches of green circles where center pivot irrigation systems tap deep wells allowing essentially the desert, or literally the desert, to bloom as a rose. From 1973 to 1992, the irrigated surface area for crops in Saudi Arabia increased 421%, propelling Saudi Arabia from being a wheat importer to the world's sixth largest wheat exporter. The aquifer source in Saudi Arabia that sustained this agriculture boom was estimated to have as much water as Lake Erie. But it's also primarily fossil water, this prehistoric water, and so it's not being replenished. 
By the 1990s, Saudi Arabian farmers were pumping 5 trillion gallons of water a year from the aquifer, which at that rate would drain Lake Erie in 25 years. As the farmers pumped, the water table fell and ancient springs and wells like those that fed the Tama Oasis began to dry up. In 2007, the Saudi government, realizing they were expending a precious ancient water resource and sending the wheat bounty outside of the country, announced they would phase out domestic wheat production. And that actually ended last year. Now Saudi Arabia doesn't officially grow wheat anymore. There's a few isolated farmers for local mills, but there's not this huge amount of wheat production and certainly wheat exports. Instead, farmers in the region have been encouraged to pursue more sustainable agriculture using drip irrigation to grow fruits and vegetables. Saudi Arabia's aquifer is not being replenished, as I mentioned, and it's because annual rainfall totals are often less than five inches per year. Hydrologists estimate the aquifer could be depleted in 50 years. With domestic agriculture in Saudi Arabia constrained, Saudi companies are increasing their agriculture investments outside of the country in order to to secure a sufficient food supply. For example, Almarai, Saudi Arabia's largest dairy, recently bought a 15-square-mile patch of land planted with, I guess 15 square miles is not a patch, but it's 15 square miles of land planted with thousands of acres of alfalfa to feed the company's dairy cows. Essentially, hey, and where did Almire buy such a verdant farm? In the desert, outside Phoenix, where the company is using center pivot irrigation systems to tap an aquifer. It turns out the desert is a great place to grow hay due to the long growing season as long as there's a water source. The area in Arizona where Amira is farming has minimal restrictions when it comes to tapping groundwater for crops. It actually somewhat surprised me, and I didn't research it to figure out how, how they're able to do that because there are some very restricted areas in Arizona, but apparently they bought existing farms and there were water rights, and so they're able to pump from the ground. Now, groundwater is unique in that it can be stored indefinitely. Only when it's tapped for irrigation or domestic uses and not replenished does it run out. So it just it flows down, it percolates down in the ground, and it's there. It doesn't evaporate because it's under the ground. Now, much of Arizona, including the cities of Phoenix and Tucson, get a large percentage of their water from the Colorado River via the Central Arizona Project. That is the largest aqueduct system ever built. It consists of pumps that lift the water 3,000 feet. It has 15 miles of tunnel and 300 miles of open canal. Arizona is not able to use all the water that they are allotted. So there's the Colorado River Pact and where the various states have agreed that they get a certain allocation of the Colorado River. Unfortunately, the that allocation is not necessarily based on a percentage. It's based on absolute amounts and amounts that are well above what the Colorado actually delivers in terms of its flow. And so that's just an ongoing controversy. But Arizona has some excess. And so they allow that excess to flow through their aqueduct system. And then they flood the desert 
these spreading bases, basins in the desert, and the water seeps into the aquifer to be stored. And it's a process it's called water banking. I love that term. It's water banking. It's this water that's saved for a rainy day and stored in the aquifer. Grady Gramage Jr. is the former president of the Central Arizona Project Board of Trustees. And in David Owen's book, Where the Water Goes, Life and Death Along the Colorado River, Gramage says, when I talk to lay groups about water, people always ask, do we have enough? Are we going to run out? And I always say that is equivalent to asking whether you have enough money because the answer depends on what assumptions you make and how much risk you are willing to take. He compares fossil water or prehistoric groundwater to an inheritance that could be preserved for the next generation or spent. Groundwater that is replenished directly with water banking or indirectly via flood irrigation is like retirement accounts. And surface water that starts with mountain snowpack and flows through rivers streams, and aqueduct systems he considers like cash flow. Of that cash flow like water, Gramage asks, do you, do we, do you want to use it to have a swimming pool, to support lush landscaping in the desert, to grow crops, many of which are exported, such as the case of Saudi Arabia that I mentioned, or do you want to manage your usage more carefully in dial everything back. And so there was a great analogy in terms of water and savings and retirement. Because like money, water can be stored and it can be invested, invested in crops to grow for, for wheat or for hay. And the amount of water stored can be evaluated by hydrologists using complex calculations to estimate how long it will last. And the answer depends on the assumptions used. How much water is there? What's the savings? What is the water savings? How much is stored in the aquifer? How much will be used each year? How much is going to be spent of that water? And the biggest unknown is how much precipitation will there be? How much rain and snow will there be in the coming years and decades, particularly with the impact of climate change? It's a very, very difficult calculation to figure out how much water will it be and how long will it last, because it very much depends on the assumptions. Now, we go through the same process when it comes to our retirement. We're trying to figure out how much will we have in terms of our retirement portfolio, our nest egg, and how long will it last. This past week, I, I tried a number of different retirement calculators. Some I got much more involved in. Others just drove me nuts because they had pop-ups that came up every every few seconds. I just literally couldn't use them. But I looked at Vanguard's retirement calculators, Fidelity, Schwab, Financial Mentor, Betterment, Personal Capital, FireCalc, ESP Planner, AARP, and Portfolio Visualizer. And it's amazing how many financial calculators there are. I asked members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, what, what calculators uh, do you use? And they, and they gave me some examples. And so today we're going to look at financial calculators and, and, and understand them and how important, just like in studying hydrology, 
the importance of the assumptions used to determine how long water will last. We do the same thing when it comes to our retirement. Now, there's two main types of retirement calculators. There are retirement planning calculators, and they, they measure how much will you have when you retire. And so there's retirement. So they're figuring out the how big your nest egg will be when you retire. And the second category are retirement spending calculators. And they are used to estimate how, how much can you spend in retirement or how long will your money last or what's the probability that your money will last throughout your, your retirement. Now, some... Now, in the case of Vanguard, they have a retirement planning calculator, which they call the retirement income calculator, and they have a retirement spending calculator, which they call the retirement nest egg calculator. Now, some, like Fidelity and Schwab, combine the two into one process. And so when we look at retirement calculators, we want to understand, well, what type of calculator is this? Is this a retirement planning calculator? Is this a retirement spending calculator? Or is this a combined retirement planning calculator? and spending. Before getting into the details of these retirement calculators, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. 
So let's take a look at retirement planning calculators. And I looked at a number of them, and they're all very similar in terms of the data that they require in order to do the calculation. And the first, they need a time horizon. How long will it be until you retire? And so they ask your age and when you plan to retire. So that gives them an idea of how many years they need to compound at a rate of return in order to get an ending value. And as part of that, they want to know what, how much you're going to save each year. So they often do it by asking your, your salary, how much do you make? And then they ask how, what, either what percent of that salary are, are you saving, including the company match? Or they might ask for a dollar amount. How much are you saving annually, including any type of match from your employer? And that gives them an idea of how much you're going to save each year. They all ask, what is your current savings? How much do you currently have in your portfolio? And that, that's all pretty straightforward. But then here's, here's the kicker, because we need an investment rate of return in order to compound the existing portfolio and the additional savings each year. And so the calculators handle it a different way. Sometimes they ask how the portfolio is invested. And so what is your asset allocation between stocks, bonds, and cash? And, and that's, that's what Fidelity did. They sort of asked how you're allocated. And some of the portfolios get very detailed where you're actually putting in specific mutual funds and ETFs. Some of the calculators just ask, what type of investor are you? Are you a conservative, moderate, or aggressive investor? And Schwab is an example of a calculator that did that. And some, and the ones that I like the best, ask, what will you earn investing? That's what Vanguard does. And that, that better allows you to adjust your assumptions. So you can put in 5% or 6% and see how it changed. But at the end, they're trying to come up with a, a rate of return. And this is where the assumptions are critical. And some of the calculators, it's really, really hard to figure out what assumptions were used. Fidelity was an example of that. As you look at the fine print, they suggest you're using the historical returns in order to come up with the assumptions. But often, if you look at even the even finer fine print, they're not always taking your exact portfolio, but they're sort of extrapolating what you put in as your allocation and then trying to find the best fit within their calculator and then generate a return. And they said they use historical returns, but the answers I got, because I took a number of the calculators and I ran them through some of the spreadsheets on, on money for the rest of us, such as am I saving enough to retire spreadsheet to sort of back in to the numbers to see what returns they were using. And it was interesting, Fidelity was, it was easy, more conservative than using the historical returns. And so that, that's something to keep in mind, but the best calculators will allow you to put in a return so you actually know what's being used to compound your portfolio over time. But, but there, there's a trade-off. It's just like with hydrologists, you can get in really, really detailed in terms of the calculation, but sometimes... The calculators just want to give a simple answer. And so they ask simple questions. What type of investor are you? Now, then you get an answer. And the answer is, what will your portfolio balance be at the time of retirement? And most of the calculators will do it in today's dollars or they'll do it in future dollars. So will your portfolio be worth $1.2 million 
in future dollars, or it'd be worth $650,000 in today's dollars. So it's basically it's adjusting for inflation. And then most of the calculators will say, all right, with this portfolio value at the end, here's my, how much you can spend in retirement, your first year of retirement. And they generally just use the, the 4% rule. So they'll take 4% type times that ending portfolio value, either in terms of future dollars or current dollars. Now, as they went through the calculators, it was a critical simplifying assumption, which I think is important to have, and most of them didn't. And that is, how much will your portfolio, your saving, your annual savings, what will it increase each year? In other words, how much will you be saving five years from now, 10 years from now? Most of the calculators just assume your your savings amount will increase by the rate of inflation, which is another pretty important assumption that that wasn't always easy to find. Vanguard uses a 3% inflation assumption. Fidelity used 2.5%. But it'll essentially take your annual savings amount, if you put in dollars or a percent of your salary, and then it's increasing that by the rate of inflation. But what if you actually are making higher salaries in other words, let's say your, your salary is actually increasing at a faster rate than inflation, or you decide to spend a higher percent of, of your salary going forward as you get into your 40s or 50s. Most of the calculators, they ignore that. And that can be an important component of, of these, these retirement planning calculators because our savings percent isn't always static, nor does our salary. Sometimes it goes up higher than inflation, sometimes it doesn't. And so uh, on Money for the Rest of Us, we have a spreadsheet, and I'll, I'll sh- share with you in a few minutes how to get that. You can actually put that in there. You can put in what percent will your savings increase, the amount saved increase each year, and you can put it at a rate more than inflation and, and take into account some of those factors. So those are retirement planning calculators. And the goal is to figure out how big your nest egg will be at the time you retire, and then how much can you spend to that nest egg in the first year of retirement? Sometimes they'll add in Social Security or your pension to figure out what you can spend in the first year of retirement. The second category are retirement spending calculators. And here we're looking at, if you're retired today, how long will your portfolio last in terms of, or what's the probability it will last through your retirement? And to do that, they all ask, how many years will you be retired? 30, 35 years, 40 years. And so they'll they'll ask that. And typically, you want to use 30 to 35 years. They'll ask you what your portfolio balance is. So what is your starting balance today in terms of your retirement balance? They're asked, how much will you spend annually? And and this is where the, the calculus very much differ. Sometimes they'll ask, you know, what percent of your salary your salary today, will you spend in retirement? And which is one way to go about it. Though sometimes they'll ask Fidelity, just ask whether you are, will be above average, average or below average. So they don't really allow you to kind of specify how much you'll spend. And, and some will actually say, how much will you, will you spend in retirement? So you can, you can do this two ways. You can actually calculate a spending rate. And the best calculators in my, in my mind and Portfolio Visualizer did this. They just said, how much are you going to spend of your nest egg 
in, in the first year of retirement. So instead of saying how much are you going to spend, they actually let you actually put the dollar amount and then they adjust that dollar amount by inflation. And, and because some the calculators, if they just start with spending, how much you want to spend in retirement, and then they compare to your nest egg, if it's like when I did with Fidelity, because I didn't include Social Security, it actually had me spending 13% in the first year of retirement. Not, not my nest egg, but this, the, the hypothetical example. Because what, what I did is I assumed it was a 40-year-old. So all the calculators, I, I'd use the same assumption. A 40-year-old retires at 65, so they have 25 years until they retire. They have $100,000 in savings today. They make eighty thousand dollars in terms of their salary, and they're and they're saving eighteen percent, so fourteen thousand four hundred dollars a year. And so that's what I loaded into Vanguard, into Fidelity. And so Van, since Fidelity is asking, how much am I going to spend in retirement? And you you had the option, most of them include Social Security or exclude it. I excluded it because I wanted to just to kind of look at the actual calculation based on the retirement portfolio. And again, because they just ask not the dollar amount, but what kind of spender are you, they just assumed I was going to spend $5,500 a month. And so my my percent spent of the portfolio was very, very high. And so the probability of that the portfolio lasting throughout a 30-year retirement was very, very low. But there, that's that's another key assumption then. So how much will you be spending in retirement annually? And then we need to, again, know how the portfolio will be invested. And, and for this, again, they're trying to figure out what the return will be. Now, most of the retirement spending calculators use a simulation analysis called a Monte Carlo analysis. So they're using historical returns and historical volatilities, and they'll do 250 simulations. Vanguard will do 5,000 simulations. And so what they're doing is they're looking at a an assumption as or in terms of a they're letting the portfolio run and they're saying, well, here's your return pattern over the 30 years. Here's what you're spending. Does the portfolio run out of money? And it'll come up with an average and they can come up with a range. And so it's very much a a simulated Monte Carlo type simulation. And so it's hard to compare from one retirement spending calculator to another. And most of them are using historical returns, which in my view are higher than than what we can expect going forward. And that's actually, in terms of the retirement spending calculator, that's why I like Portfolio Visualizer, their Monte Carlo analysis. And again, all these retirement calculators I'll link to in the show notes, or if you're a member of my insider's guide, you, you'll get links to all those or you will have received already the links as part of the free weekly email as well, along with a summary article. And if you're not a member of that Insider's Guide, go ahead and, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. But in addition, I want to share with you the Money for the Rest of Us spreadsheets. You know, our version of calculators, which are actually spreadsheets because you like I like to be able to see what's happening from year to year. And if you sign up for the Insider's Guide at moneyfortherestofus.com, I'll, I'll send you those and, and you'll see it in the, the initial email. Or you can text the word, if you're a US-based listener, text the word SAVINGS, S-A-V-I-N-G-S, to the number 44222 and you'll immediately 
get sent. You'll get signed up for the Insider's Guide, and I'll immediately send you an email so you can get those retirement calculators slash spreadsheets along with a video showing how to use them. There's a, a basically a retirement planner spreadsheet called Will, Will I Have Enough to Retire? And there's a retirement spending spreadsheet called Mind the Gap, trying to figure out how much, how long will your money last. But again, we're, with the retirement spending, we're trying to figure out, will the money last? And so I was saying with Portfolio Visualizer, you can look at historical returns and put in your portfolio, your portfolio weights, and then it uses historical returns and historical volatility, and it does the Monte Carlo type simulation. Or you can put in an expected return for each asset class. And then it again, it still does the Monte Carlo simulation using historical volatility. So you can you have much more control. But again, with much more control, sometimes it get more complicated. It's way easier to just ask how much you're going to spend in retirement, like Fidelity does, or what kind of spender are you, and just kind of use historical returns. But sometimes you want to be able to control the assumptions. Now, the critical simplifying assumption with retirement spending calculators is they, they assume you're not going to adjust your spending based on what happens. And in fact, when you're retirement, you can, you can make adjustments. So if you get a series of poor returns, you can reduce your spending and increase the probability that you, you, you'll make it through your 30-year retirement. And that's really the key, right? The, these calculators are just to kind of give us an idea see if we're on track, see if we need to increase the amount that we're spending. and But recognize when you're retired, when you're early retired like me, you can make adjustments from year to year. You can actually go get other income. So you're taking a smaller percent of your, spending a smaller percent of your portfolio in the early years of retirement. And so you, you're allowed to adjust. You can make adjustments. And the calculators sort of often overlook that just because they're trying to simplify things and they assume you're not going to make adjustments midstream, but the fact that you actually are. Now, the member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a business owner, sold the, the, their business recently, but is still working in the business. And, and he wrote and he, he was kind of, he's worked with different calculators, worked with the spreadsheets of Money for the Rest of Us. And after a really, really bad day, he, read, he went to the analysis again to see and he, he increased the rate of return so he could actually quit even earlier. And, and that's something that Robert, a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, pointed out is that, you know, when you're able to modify the variables and have that discretion, it, often you can create the desired result. And so we have to start with reasonable rates of return. You can't be using 10% expected return in your retirement calculator for stocks, way too high. And you can't be using 6% for bonds. So you got to have if you're going to use the own assumptions, you got to use, you, you, or you're going to put in expected returns. They need to be reasonable rate of return assumptions. So six percent for stocks is reasonable. Three percent for bonds. These are nominal returns are reasonable, and do the analysis there. And that's why there's there's some some risk in using historical returns because much of the higher returns historically have been because valuations have increased over time. So now we're starting with a higher valuation amount. And it can be because interest rates have fallen and that has increased the return on fixed income. Now we're starting with much lower interest rates, which means bond returns are going to be low. 
And we're starting with higher valuations and lower dividend yields for stock, which means expected returns for stocks will be lower. But it's important to use calculators. So, so go ahead and, and try them all. I, I liked Vanguard the best in terms of the retirement planning calculator. I liked Portfolio Visualizer the best in terms of retirement spending calculator. Fidelity was a good calculator in terms of compound, combining them both, and Schwab. And so I didn't, I didn't see any major flaws in any of the calculators. So I think it's important to try different ones. And, and try the ones for money for the rest of us. So go ahead. And if you remember the Insider's Guide, you'll have the links to that. Or text the word savings to the number 44222. And I'll send you those retirement spreadsheets and compare them. And, and do the analysis. And that's what you need to know about retirement calculators. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money investing in the economy. Have a great week.